Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. All right. Well, would you give the Lord a round of applause? When you walked in, you got a bulletin. If you didn't get one, um, raise your hand. They'll bring one to you. Inside of it, there's an outline. I want to invite you to pull that out. Um, I'm going to share a quick message with you because we don't have a whole lot of time. Uh, I want to share a quick message. We have been talking about unity. And we've been talking about unity because unity is powerful. Unity has great power. And not does not does only unity have great power, but we've been learning that God God's will for us is that we would be people of what? Of unity. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.11. This has been our key verse of this series. And Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, and he's talking to believers. He's talking to believers. Let me tell you, if you're not a Christian, you have no obligation to have unity. But if you are a Christian, if your faith has been placed in Christ, well, then these are our marching orders. These are expert, the expectations. This is the will of God, right? He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you, not just the old people, not just the people in leadership, not just the people that have been Christians for a long time, that all of you agree with what? One with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. The question that we've been asking is, why is unity so powerful? Why is there such power in unity? And why is unity God's will? Well, here's the reason why. Because unity blesses every single type of relationship. Right. And the opposite is true. Disunity harms and destroys every type of relationship. A marriage that is united will be a blessed marriage. A family that is united will be a blessed family. A church that is united will be a blessed church. But wherever there's this unity... Well, then the harms and the destruction that this unity brings will eventually become a reality. And not only is unity essential to our relationships, but unity is the environment in which many of the blessings can take place. Yeah. Unity brings God's blessing. We, we saw that. We saw that the psalm says, look how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. Not only is unity pleasant and good, but that is the place where God commands his blessing. Right. Without unity, there isn't progress. Because instead of marching forward, we're too busy fighting or defending each other. Without unity, there's no joy. Because we're too busy guarding ourselves. We're too busy being alert that we won't get hurt again. That we can't enjoy ourselves. Without unity, there's no prosperity. Because it is in unity that God sends His blessing. Amen. Without unity, there's
there's no peace. We're always bickering. We're always gossiping. We're always hurting each other. So not only does unity have great power, but it is essential to all relationships. Now, here's the amazing thing, okay? And I will not get tired. We got two more weeks of this series, and after that, you won't hear it again. But the biggest thing that I want you to know about unity is that unity is not automatic. You don't wake up and you're united to somebody. You don't just show up to a place and automatically experience unity. Unity needs to be sought. Unity needs to be fought for. Unity needs to be a choice that we make. In other words, unity or disunity is in our hands. You and I, through every decision that we make, we are either choosing to be united or we're choosing disunity. So if we're going to choose unity, if we want to have unity with our siblings, if we want to have a united family, if we want to have a united life group, if we want to have a united workplace, how can we choose unity? Well, we've been looking at the ingredients, at the elements that produce unity. That these are the things that when we choose, when we choose them, we choose unity. The first week, and you can fill this out in your outline, we looked at the first ingredient, and that was love. Love is the foundation of our relationships. Without love, relationships cannot thrive. And when we choose love, we are choosing unity. Because without love, we are what? Nothing. The second ingredient that produces unity is an identity. When we identified <coughs> under a banner, that creates unity. I'm a big baseball fan, as I've shared with you that on that day, that one of the things that I enjoy about going to Dodger Stadium is that I can celebrate with people that I don't know because we all identify as a Dodger community, right? So right now, there's the, there's the World Baseball Classic Championship going on. There's a bunch of nations that are playing in baseball. And I'm a little divided who I should root for, you know, because tonight Mexico plays against USA and I love both of them. I do. I do. Right. But an identity provides unity. When we identified under God's bannership, when we identified under God's family, when we create an identity and we embrace that, well, then unity is created. And last week, we began to look at the, at the third ingredient. And we only looked at the first two um, ways that, that we practice this third ingredient, which is purpose. Purpose. When we have a goal, when we have a cause, when we have a direction, that creates unity. We talked about how natural disasters tend to create unity. And a purpose, a purpose creates unity. See, the reality about the church is that we have more differences than we have in common. Have you realized that? I mean, we don't all live in the same city. We don't all like the same brand. We don't all use the same hair products or, or products. We don't all go for the same team. 
So what is it that brings so many diverse people, diverse in their history, diverse in their choices, diverse in their preferences, diverse in almost every way? What is it that brings so many diverse people and can make one people out of them? Simple. Sin. That's what we have in common. That as different as we are, the one big common denominator is that we're all sinners. And yes, we even are diverse in how we sin, right? Some of you like to gossip and you're always criticizing other people. Others of you, you're greedy. You, 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 you're jealous of other people. Others of you, you have dirty minds, right? So uh, I'll stop right there. We all have a sin problem. But it's not just sin that brings us together. It's our Savior, most importantly, that brings us together. Because it is what He did about our sin problem that brings us together. And all these diverse people, all these wonderfully different looking people can be one people because of one Man, one man God called Jesus. Amen. In fact, look at what Ephesians 4, 4 through 7 says. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of us all. So we all have the same Father, right? Who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ, what? Apportioned it. So how is it that, can, that so many diverse people can have one purpose? Well, because we're all part of the same family. And here's the amazing thing. Last week we saw the power of unity when we looked at the Tower of Babel. Remember that story? These human beings had a wrong desire, but they embraced a very powerful principle. And that is that when people come together, the impossible is possible. That's, that's what the Bible teaches. In fact, that's what God said. Let me refresh your memory. Look at Genesis eleven six. Look at what God says. He says, look, the people are united. And they all speak the same languages. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. In other words, when we can unite in purpose, the impossible becomes possible. That's the power that unity has. I heard about Belgian horses. Most of you probably do not know what a Belgian horse look like, looks like. Well, to help you a little bit, think about the Clydesdale horses. And you're like, well, you didn't tell me anything, Pastor. You know the Budweiser horses? That was a trick question. That was a trick question. Some, a lot of you failed. I saw the commercials, Pastor. So I bought it to try it. A Belgian horse is even bigger than those Clydesdale horses from the Budweiser commercials. I'm not giving propaganda to Budweiser, okay? They destroy and harm more people than the good that they do. But these Belgian horses are very strong horses. One of these horses can pull 8,000 pounds by themselves. 8,000 pounds. That's how strong one of these horses is. But it is said 
that when you put two Belgian horses together, they don't pull 16,000 pounds. They pull three times their capability as one of them, 24,000 pounds. That's exponential growth. But check it out, it gets even better. When you combine two horses, two Belgian horses that grew up in the same stable, that grew up together, that maybe come from the same mama, they don't pull 24,000 pounds. You know how much they can pull? 36,000 pounds. Because that is the power of unity. That tells us that together we can do more than we can alone. So if we're going to have unity, we need a united purpose. We need unity of purpose. And we said, well, how do we get that purpose? Well, last week we looked at the first two points, the first two requirements to have unity of purpose. And the first one we said is that we need a united cause. And for the sake of time, I'm, I'm not going to go too deep into it. If you're interested, you can listen to our podcast from last week. But we need a united cause. The early church had a, had a cause. What was their cause? To expand the kingdom of God. Their cause, what drove them, what they wanted to accomplish was to expand the kingdom of God. And I share with you, if you were not here, last week we passed these out and we put them again in your bulletin because together as a church, we want to have that same cause that the early church And that is that we want to expand the kingdom of God. And we put these little cards in there because I want to challenge you. I want to ask you to commit to at least inviting three people. And to put their name on there, you're going to turn this in and I am going to be praying every day for them. You know, I I, I got these cards when I came into my office this week and it was so awesome because it was a pretty big stack. But I am hoping that after this Sunday is three times that stack, right? Because we're Belgian horses, right? So we're going to go from 8,000 to 36,000, right? Are you following me? And it was so encouraging because some of you, I asked you for three people, and some of you tagged the whole thing. You wrote names on the sides and in the back. And I was like, Lord, this is so awesome. So if you didn't get a chance to do this, do this today. I have been praying for the names that you wrote on there every day, and I've been praying for you too. In fact, you want to know something? I had Nathan this week with me, and he even prayed for you. And and the cause that is going to unite us is that we're going to expand the kingdom of God by telling people about Jesus. Amen. So, so fill this out. So the first thing is a collective cause. The second thing is a collective vision. The second requirement of purpose is a collective vision. Now, the cause is where we want to go. The vision is the motivation behind it. If you don't have vision, you stay stuck. If you don't have a vision, you don't have any motivation to do, to go after what you want to see accomplished. And the early church had a vision. And we read that on that first sermon that Peter preached, 5,000 people came to Jesus. But they weren't happy with 5,000. They wanted to see the world come to Jesus. So even when they were threatened, 
They didn't stop preaching the gospel because they had a vision to see the world conquer for Jesus. And we got a vision too as a church. And that vision is to see the church not just full, but to see the church of God actively serving. Because if we're going to reach the world, we're going to have to serve one another. And we put a second little insert in your bulletin. And I'm also glad that I got a couple of these. I was hoping to get 140 because that's what we had last Sunday. But I didn't get 140 of these. So I'm hoping that today those that didn't turn one in. And here's, here's what I'm asking you as your pastor. This Easter, even more than this Easter, this year, can we count on you? I share with you that some of us, we're tired. We're the ones doing everything every Sunday. And we need you to make a difference. You are a gift to Dayspring. You are a gift to this community. And when you begin to serve, you're going to make Dayspring better, cooler, and easier. So all we're asking is, hey, could you give one Sunday a month? Possibly two if you're a super Christian, you know? Could you do that? I mean, we're not even talking about an eight-hour workday. We're talking about maybe two, three. Could you? And there's a bunch of things that we have there. Now, I'm glad that we got a lot of help for our carnival, our egg hunt, and all of that. You know where we need some help? Young people, listen to me. We need some help in our media. We need some help with, with, our, with our Instagram and our graphics and videos and and that's where you can come in. That's where you can help us make a difference. So second, we need a vision. And we have the vision that we're not just going to see this sanctuary to full capacity, but that we're going to see the chapel to full capacity. Yes. But if we're going to have the chapel to full capacity, guess what? We need somebody to be doing sound over there. We need somebody to be doing TVs over there. We need somebody to be ushering over there. We need somebody to help us decorate over there. We need somebody to, to be attentive over there. And if we're going to have the chapel and the sanctuary fill, that means our kids are going to be overloaded. So we're going to need more teachers. So here's my question. We got a vision. Can we count you in? If you can, I'm glad for the amens. But you know what I want more than an amen? I want one of these cards. I want one of these cards. Amen? So we need a collective cause and we need a collective vision. Here's the third thing that we need for unity of purpose. We need a collective stewardship. We need a collective stewardship. Look at what Acts 4.32 says. It says, all the believers were united in heart and in spirit. They consider their possessions, what? Not their own. So they shared everything they had. One of the key elements of unity, one of the main areas where unity needs to be reflected, are you ready for this? Is in the way that we care for one another. If we say we're united, but we ignore one another, we don't have unity. If we say we're united, but we gossip about one another, we don't have unity. If we say we're united, but we sabotage and root against each other, we don't have unity. One of the things that unity does is that it moves us. 
to love and care and treat each other well. And that's what the early church had. Such was the unity that the Bible says that the possessions that they had, they considered them not their own. And they said, this is not mine. This is ours. And by the way, stewardship is what the Bible says that you and I are. We don't own anything. I know you think you own your car just because you paid it off, but you really don't own it. I know you're fighting hard to buy a house or to pay off your house, but even when you do, you don't really own it. I know you got your special shoes and your collection of bags, but you don't really own it. Can I prove to you why you don't really own it? Because when you die, it stays here. You realize somebody owned the house that you own now? And if God delays in coming, which I believe he, he won't, somebody else will own that house one day. So we don't own anything. The Bible says that God gives us things and he entrusts us with things. And we are to do two things. A good steward does two things. Number one, he takes care of them and he enjoys them. God gave you kids Not so that you can put up with them, so that you can enjoy them. God gave you a husband and a spouse, not to have somebody to fight with, but to have somebody to enjoy. So a good steward takes care of things and enjoys them. But the second thing that a good steward does is that he uses them for God's glory. A good steward understands this is not mine. This came from God, so I might as well use it to give him glory. Now, let me tell you, there's a lot of things that God makes us steward over. God made me steward over my three kids. God made me steward over my wife. God made me a steward over this church. And there's different things that God made you a steward over. But there are three things that no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, there are three common things that we all need to steward. You want to know what they are? Here they are. Number one, the first thing is time. We all have a designated amount of time. How you use that and who you use it for says a lot about the kind of steward you are. Is it okay if I give you a little hook in the ribs? Some people tell me, Pastor, I got no time to help. But I see how busy you are on social media. It's a matter of value. So the first thing that we have to steward is time. The second thing that we have to steward is our talents. Those things that you're good at. Some of you, you're good with your hands. Some of you, you're good with people. Some of you, you're good at planning. Some of you, you're good, you're good at, at colors and patterns. We all have things that God made us good at. And we use those things, not just for our enjoyment, but also for the glory of God. Did you know that you could use a gift from God wrong? So time, talents, and the third one is treasures. Money. I'm going to tell you something that it goes so against our, our times, but it is, it is biblically true. 
not all the money that you receive is intended to be yours. God entrusts you with money that belongs to him and that belongs to other people. So why does he give it to me? Because he wants to make you participant of his great and wonderful plan. But you know what some people do? They steal from God. Because they take what was not meant for them, but for him or for others, and they use it for themselves. Time, talents, and treasure. Now, you want me to tell you something really, really powerful? You ready for this? How you use these things do not earn you heaven. Heaven is received by placing your faith in Jesus. Okay, ready for that? They don't earn you heaven. But how you use these things will determine how you experience heaven. In other words, how good of a steward you are will determine the rewards that you get in heaven. I, I, many Christians think that when we go to heaven, we're just going to be like these naked little short people that are going to be playing harps. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to eat. We're going to work. But we're not going to eat out of necessity. We're going to eat for pleasure. We're not going to work to earn money, but we're going we're to work to make a contribution because that's what we were created to do. Adam worked in the Garden of Eden. We're going to be given responsibilities. We're going to be given titles. We're going to be given rewards. And all that is going to be determined not by our intentions. God, I intended to be so good. But, but how good of a steward we were. So I don't know about you. I don't just want to make it to heaven. I want to make it to heaven with the bag. I want to walk around with jewels and crowns and I want God to call out my name and say, you know what, Nestor, you are faithful in the little. I'm going to give you a lot more. I want that. So that's why I don't stop serving. That's why I don't stop giving my time. That's why I don't stop tithing. Because not only am I obedient to the Lord, but I'm also making a way for myself in eternity. Remember what Jesus said? He said, don't store up treasures here on earth, but store them where? How do you do that? By being a good steward of these three things. Now, here, here it is. And if I don't finish the last point, it's all right, right? Doesn't it feel good? And I'm going to use a few people as an example, so please don't feel offended. Doesn't it feel good that Mark uses his gift, his time, and his talents for us? I mean, the worship team is, is great. I love our worship team. But Mark makes such a difference, right? Aren't you grateful that people like Angel, who can do these cool graphics and create things, takes the time and the resources to do that? And that you don't have to be looking at images from Windows 98 that I create? Right? Isn't that awesome that there's people like Katie who wake up early on Sundays and they come and prepare a coffee for you so that when you're done from church, you can go and grab a quick bite? Doesn't it feel good that people like Bart come on Saturday to align the chairs, to clean the church, so that when you come, you don't have to come into a messy church? Doesn't it feel good that people like Julio uh, and other sound people take the time to come and help us so that it's not squeaky and horrible? You following me? 
when people are good stewards, we're all blessed. You know, one of the things that we're getting ready to do is that we want to have a kids service about once every two months in the chapel. Full-blown kids service. We want the kids to lead worship. We want the kids to be the ones that do the service. And my wife and, and people like Steve and my brother Hugo are working at helping us make that. Isn't that awesome that when people are good stewards, it blesses us and it makes us better? You know what's the only thing you shouldn't steward? A warm, comfortable chair. Don't steward that. Get involved. When we are good stewards, we create unity. Amen? And then the last thing, here's the last thing, the last unity, the last um, requirement for unity of purpose is a collective action. In other words, collective habits. We need to have practices that unite us. He's not here today. He he woke up really sick because he's broken hearted, but... Um, a lot of you guys know that Manolo is a really good friend of mine. I would even dare to say that probably my best friend. And he's been a blessing to me on every level. You know what brought Manolo and I together the way that, that we are? Not church. Running. And about a year and a half ago, he got injured and he hasn't been able to run as consistently. And uh, I was going to tell him this this morning, but he's, he's sick. He woke up really sick. Since we haven't been running, our relationship hasn't been the same. And I tell him, I tell him, I go, dude, I miss you. I miss running with you. I miss talking with you. I miss going out to breakfast with you. Because there were things that him and I did consistently that brought us together. Whether it was going to run or buy shoes that our spouses don't know about or going to do <laughs> breakfast. Sorry, Grace, you didn't hear that. You know, there were practices that brought us together. And I know that's true of you, too. Think about the people that you're really close to. You're close to them because you do things with them, whether you go out to eat with them, you're in a sport with them, you work together, you drive together, whatever it is. And as a church... There needs to be practices that unite us that are not just religious practices, but that are habits and disciplines. What are those? Well, let me give you a couple of them. And we see these in the early church. We see the early church doing these things, and there are things that we need to be doing. Number one is that we need to unite it, share our faith. We need to share our faith. Sharing our faith is what the early church did. We're not going to read the passages because I'm running out of time. But we need to do that. We need to share our faith. Once again, what brings us together is Jesus. What should propel us forward? What should unite us? Sharing our faith. Sunday, April 2nd, so two Sundays from now. After church, we want to go out to the community and we want to invite them. We want to go to Target. We want to go to different places and we want to pass out flyers. In the coming weeks, we're going to give you physical flyers for you to take home to invite people. We got to keep sharing our faith. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. In other words, we can't be ashamed to be Christians and to tell somebody, hey, would you want to come to church with me? We need to share our faith. God, let me tell you this. God does not approve of secret, secret agent Christians. 
If you're an undercover Christian, God's got something better for you. Amen. The second thing that the early church did that we need to do is that we need to not just share our faith, but we need to glorify God. The early church met together almost daily. We meet together once a week. And some of you take a month off. Church is not about, ah, it's just church. No, there is, there, there is something, something unique that God has established that when we come together, there is something that he does that doesn't happen when we're alone. I don't know about you, but I love Sundays. You know why I love Sundays? Because I feel closer to God and I feel closer to you. And they're not always the best. But here's what I know. Regardless of how I feel or what happened, the fact that I get up and I am part of God's community glorifies Him. How do you keep God front and center? By keeping Him front and center. And saying, hey, Sundays? Sundays is not fun day, part day. Sundays is not lazy Sunday. Sundays is God's day. And we glorified God together. Amen? And then the third thing is by working together. We need to work together. Right? The early church fed the orphans. The early church fed those in need. The early church took care of the sick. The early church sponsored missionaries. And we need to do the same. We need to work together. You can't just be part of Dayspring. You need to be part of a team in Dayspring. And say, yes, I go to Dayspring, but I'm part of the ushers. Or I'm part of the music. Or I'm part of the kids. Or I'm part of the multimedia. And then last but not least, the fourth thing is a reflection of God's love. The fourth habit that we need to practice, the fourth discipline, is reflecting God's love. You know, the American church, my opinion is, is that we went wrong when we started defining Christianity by the size of our Bible and not by how well we loved. Because Jesus said that it was not by the size of our Bible or the depth of our theology, but it was by our ability to love others that others would say, oh, that's because they're Christian. Why is it that they help people? Oh, because they're Christian. Why is it that they don't react the way they react? Oh, because they're Christian. Why is it that they love those that, that, that are in sin? Oh, because they're Christian. We need to practice love. But you know where love begins? At home. At home. Physically and literally. If you cannot love the people you live with, you're going to have a hard time loving the people at church. In fact, can I step on a few toes? Is it okay? The reason some of you can't love the people around you right now is because you don't love the people that you're going to after this. And we need to practice love. Love has a cost. Love has a price. But love conquers all things. Amen? So unity is powerful, but unity requires unity of purpose. Next week, we're going to look at the last three elements of unity. And then the Sunday after that, we're going to do something very special. We're going to end our series by having a special time to pray for unity. And we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna come together 
and we're going to pray for unity. And it's going to be the Sunday before Palm Sunday, before Easter. And we're going to believe that God is going to do wonderful things in our midst and through us. Amen. Are you with me? Would you bow your head? Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.